Pune, today a busy metropolis and a high-tech city, was once the seat of the mighty Maratha Empire that dominated much of India in the 18th century. It was Peshwa Bajirao I's decision to shift his residence here in 1731 that heralded a new chapter in Pune's history, transforming it from a small village to a grand capital of an empire with palaces, wadas and temples. Uday S. Kulkarni, historian and author of best-selling books The Solicitous at Panipat and the Era of Bajirao, takes us through the story of Pune under the Peshwas. When Bajirao, as the Peshwa, when he comes to Pune, it became the capital. Because over a period of time you find that the Peshwa's power was increasing, his importance was increasing. Well, Shahu sitting in Satara, because he would not go on any campaigns or any battles himself, his importance kept on reducing. Though they all kind of obeyed him, and they always had their representatives called Mutaliks in the court of Satara. Because Shahu was not a very active person, having spent the first 25 years of his life in a Mughal camp, he was not acquainted with the... He was used to that kind of a lifestyle and not a very active person by him. But he was a very peaceful person. He had a lot of uh, loyalty towards the Mughal throne and he would never throw off that allegiance. He, till, his, till the very end, he kept on saying that you must not destroy the Mughal uh, empire, you must not destroy the Nizam also. Even when there is a battle between Bajirao and the Nizam, you find that when Nizam has been brought to his knees at the Battle of Palkhed, you find that Shahu is saying that, let the Nizam remain, don't destroy him completely. And uh, they used to take some promises from him that they will be allowed to collect south and they will not be uh, hampered by this thing. But he never kind of completely removed him and that remained till the very end, till 1948 you find the Nizam's power remained. Because of this policy of Chhatrapati Shahu not to completely eradicate the Mughal power, for which, surprisingly, he kind of had a very soft corner for Aurangzeb who had actually killed his father because Aurangzeb was kind to him in the 18 years that he spent in, the, in his captivity. So he always had a soft corner of Aurangzeb and it is said that when the emperor died, he took a promise from Shahu that he will always go to the help of the Mughal throne whenever it is in any kind of uh, trouble, which was which word he kind of kept till his last day in, of his life. So basically during Bajirao's time, the wadas in Kasbapet were built. One was the Purandare Wada. Most of it is now given way to other buildings. In fact, there's a hospital which has come up in its place. And other ministers who started building houses around that, around that part. By that time, the Lal Mahal had already completely dest got destroyed. And next to that, Bajirao decided to build his house because he found that, in the stories there in many places in India, where he found that a hare is chasing a dog or something of that sort. So thinking that a weaker power will always defeat a stronger power, this is a good place to have your house. And he started building the house there. Now Shahu was very much against having a court around the houses. So he prohibited the building of a wall around the Shanwar Wada. You can have your residence and you can have your Wada, but there will be no wall around it. So it was only after Shahu died that all these walls were built. And uh, so it was a very small city even at that time. But the pate started developing because there was somebody called a Shete. Shete Mahajan who was there, who were given the right to establish a pate. And the pates were mainly on a particular kind of trade. So those kind of people came and settled there. And that Shete was given the right to not only set up the pate, but also collect uh, revenue from that. And he was given a part of the revenue and so on. And to populate that place, increase business and increase enterprise and so on. And that's how one by one these 
पेट स्प्रेड थ्रू आउट द एटीन सेंचुरी एंड पूना बिकेम अ बिगेस्ट सिटी स्टार्टेड टू बिकम अ कैपिटल सिटी इन द लेटर पेशवा पीरियड बाजीराव आई थिंक स्पेंड एट मंथ्स एंड अयर आउट ऑन इज कैम्पेन्स एंड प्रॉब्ली फोर मंथ्स इन पूना सो along with him went his entire army all his chiefs gathered now the chiefs are all not located in pune they were located in various places around pune and whenever the uh, dashera time used to come when there was a tradition of crossing the boundaries of one's country they were all told that collect your troops and come and let's start going and that is when he started his march towards various places and as the days went by and they captured newer territories bajirao's brother chimaji appa he went to malwa defeated the mughal subedar there and even had laid siege to ujjain so that was where the beginning of the capture of malwa though marathas had been entering malwa for almost 30 years before that but this was a crucial battle in 16 1729 that chimaji defeated and killed the two mughal subedars in uh, malwa that was the beginning of the maratha occupation of malwa and it became a de facto occupation of malwa the de jure occupation by giving a sanad of malwa took another decade from the emperor so that is how they spread gujarat was again taken over around that time in the 16 1730s it ultimately it was the person who conquers goes out and conquers who finally gets the power so that is what bajirao did because very dynamic person and as you know he didn't lose any of the battles that he fought the reason for that being of course that he chose his battlefields and he chose the timing of his battle and if he felt that this is not a time to fight the battle he wouldn't fight it he was a diplomat as well as a warrior so if he could get his aims without fighting he would always do that and most of his victories you will find have been bloodless victories when he defeated the nizam he used to cut off his water and food supply and bring him to his knees though he had a bigger army artillery and without shedding any blood so that was a kind of battles that he fought provinces of the mughal uh, empire which actually acceded to Mah- marathas and where the proper maratha administration place for nearly about 70 to 80 years of the 18th century were malwa were gujarat were birar which is today's vidarbha were orissa and the bulk of western maharashtra the konkan area parts the upper north northern half of karnataka and bundelkhand these were territories which were permanently under maratha rule for a fairly long period you can say 70 to 80 years your bundelkhand and malwa were captured in 1729 or 1730 Gujarat was captured in the same 1720s or so, and they remained with the Maratha fold with a proper administrative system. It was only while crossing the Chambal that there was a bit of a turbulence, and they had to keep going up and down. But if you just see the number of times the Marathas reached Delhi and changed emperors there, the first one 1719 when Farooq Shah was deposed and a new person was put in his place. The second time they went to Delhi was 1737 that they didn't depose the emperor at that time. the third opportunity was in 1754-55 when the then emperor came out of the city to fight with them and the wazir was towards the was on the favor side of the marathas they went back to delhi and deposed ahmed shah who was the son of mohammed shah and put alamgir the second in his place alamgir the second lasted for 5 years and imadul mulk was wazir assassinated by that time it was 1759 1760 when Ahmed Shah Abdali was attacking Delhi regularly. In 1757, after Abdali captured Delhi and looted Delhi and came to Mathura, Vrindavan, carried out massive slaughters there and so on. That was the time when the Marathas realized that they have to defend these regions because in 1752 they had signed a treaty with the Delhi Emperor, saying that they will protect the Emperor against all external and internal enemies. And in lieu of that, they were promised certain provinces of the Mughal Empire as 
for theirs to collect the taxes and the revenues from. So when 1752 onwards, Abdali's attacks became more and more frequent. There was a time when they had to go and face this repeated attacks that were coming from the northwest. So Raghunathra, who was Nana Sahib Peshwa's younger brother, he led a large army led along with Holkar and Shinde and so on. And from 1753 to 1755, he reached Delhi, took back Delhi from them. Again in 1757, he went for a second expedition when Abdali came and looted Delhi. And there were the stories of his tortures even to the nobility that time are well documented. And then they captured Delhi in 1757. And then they were invited by the people in the Punjab that why don't you cross Sarhind and come into Punjab. Now, the Punjab was not of much strategic value to the Marathas. It was already a bridge too far. But at that time, a decision was made that Lahore was being ruled by Abdali's son, Taimur Shah. So they decided that they will cross into the Punjab and make a uh, charge towards Lahore. So along with them, they had some Mughal army, they had some Sikhs also along with them. Of course, Sikhs were still not yet organized as a kingship. They were still div divided into many tribes. So they all three together marched to Lahore. And the Marathas, when they, uh, the Abdali's son and his general saw them coming, they fled across the Ravi and they went towards Peshawar. The Marathas chased them even beyond that. So Lahore, Peshawar, Multan and Atok. These are the four places where the Marathas had put their uh, camps. Now in the process what happened is that they actually tread on Abdali's toes. Because Abdali was not interested in anything beyond Punjab. Because, because Afghanistan was such an arid province with no revenues, his interest was always in the Punjab and sporadic uh, attacks on Delhi to loot whatever accumulated wealth of the Mughals of over 200 years was there. So when Marathas entered into Punjab, that was when he, they infringed into Abdali's territory. So within a couple of years after that, next thing you find is that Abdali comes marching back after he's got rid of his troubles in Afghanistan and he comes back here to take back the Punjab. And that time the rudimentary Maratha force which is there, they cannot really resist that kind of a 60,000 troops coming down the Khyber and the Bolan passes and marching towards Delhi. That time only one Dattaji Shinde was there in the Dwab and he was trying to fight off Najibuddala, who was the ruler of Najibabad. So when this entire 60,000 troops started marching in, he left Najibuddala and came towards the Jamuna and tried to stop Abdali. Abdali was not interested in fighting with Dattaji Shinde unless he joined up with Najib Khan. So he crossed the Jamuna, joined up with Najib Khan and you find the two of them heading towards Delhi on two banks of the Jamuna. On the right is uh, in the Dwab is Abdali with Najib Khan. On this side is Dattaji Shinde and they gradually come down towards Delhi till on the day of Makar Sankranti, on the 10th of January of 1760, you find that here they are distributing this uh, sweets for Sankranti and suddenly they hear that at four places, Abdali and Najib Khan's troops have started crossing the Jamuna river. Now, which is the real crossing? That they didn't know. So, Dattaji sent out his army to find out which is the real crossing. When he finally realized that this is the place where they are really going to cross, which is at Buradi, just north of Delhi. And when the first uh, attack came and the Maratha troops were pushed back, Dattaji himself went there to face the attack and he was killed there. And when he was killed, the entire Afghan army crossed the Jamuna and gave chase to the Shindes who went back towards Rajasthan and there they joined up with the Holkars. Then Holkar decided I will now fight a guerrilla war because he was the foremost exponent of guerrilla warfare at that time but he was almost 60 years old, 63 years old that time. So he fought a guerrilla war for a month or two but finally when he was waiting for a treasure uh, on the bank of the 
Ganges at Anoop Sher, you suddenly find that one rapid uh, marching army of Abdali comes and surprises him. And he has to run for his life and come back across the Jamuna and he comes in the territory of Suraj Maljat and sits there. So when they realize that Dattaji Shinde has been defeated and killed and Mallara Holkar also is defeated, who were the two pillars of the Maratha power in the north. At that time in the south you find that a major victory had been won by Sadashiv Rao Bhau over the Nizam. And although Raghunath Rao was a normal uh, general who went to the north, this time because Raghunath Rao had come back with a huge debt last time, they decided that now they will send Sadashiv Rao Bhau. And for the first time Sadashiv Rao Bhau had to go north, but they were told that come with a large army and come with a large army with a strong artillery. So just a year before, they had managed to acquire a huge artillery French trained force under Ibrahim Khan Gardi, who was with the Marathas. So with this huge army, they started moving north just at the end of one war before properly uh, carrying out the repairs for their equipment. You know, they had to still pay the salaries of their troops and so on. And that's when they started marching north again. And that, of course, is a different story because that finally leads to Panipat. So that is why they had to fight the Panipat battle. While the defeat in the third battle of Panipat in 1761 dealt a severe blow to the Maratha power and prestige in the north, they soon recovered their influence under great generals like Mahaji Sindhya. Down south, Pune city continued to be the centre of the Peshwai power and prosperity. Between 1728 and 1763, Pune was never invaded by anybody. It was a secure capital of the Peshwas. Bajira was there, it was secure till 1740. Nana Sahib became the Peshwa in 1740. It was secure under him throughout his 21 years of his career. Nobody could attack Pune as such. After the debacle at Panipat, when uh, they realized that the Marathas had become weak and lost 100,000 people in that battle, in 1763, 1761, Nana Sahib Peshwa also died. And that is the time the Nizam, who had just lost a huge amount of territory in the Battle of Udgir in 1759, he decided, this is my opportunity. And he started marching towards Pune. And uh, when he was marching towards Pune, a Maratha army was marching towards Hyderabad. And they went and burnt a few suburbs of Hyderabad. Well, the uh, Nizam came and burnt a few suburbs of Pune. They kind of hit each other. So that was the time in 1763, when a large proportion of houses in Pune have been documented to have been burnt down in that invasion. So till then there was no problem. So these four Peshwas, Balaji Ishwarath, Bajirao, Nana Sahib and Madhavarao, during the entire period the city of Pune grew. In fact, Nana Sahib Peshwa can be rightfully called the architect of the city of Pune because he made gardens, he made palaces, he made that lake which we are talking about around Sarasbagh. All these places were made by Nana Sahib Peshwa. The Parvati temple was built by Nana Sahib Peshwa and he was the true architect of Pune in those 20 years that he was in the Peshwa. The Pune city had reached the heights of power and prosperity under Nana Sahib Peshwa and his son Madhavrao I. However, the demise of Peshwa Madhavrao in 1772, at a young age of 27, heralded a darker phase in the history of Pune, marked by intrigues, wars and a murder. In 1773, when Narayan Rao became the Peshwa, he placed his uncle in some kind of a custody with a lot of restrictions on his movements. Along with that, he took some other decisions which made him unpopular with the people there. And because of this, a kind of a movement began to imprison him. The first idea was to imprison him. 
and that was what was accepted that that should be done. But when the Gardis, Gardis is basically from a French word called Garde, which means guard, and they were actually the French trained artillery or infantry officers who were recruited in the Maratha army. They were from all communities. I mean, they were Muslims, they were Punjabis, they were they were from any any branch. They were Telangis because they came from Hyderabad. So they were all all these people were called the Gardis. Now these Gardis were the people who were employed as the most trustworthy soldiers around the Peshwa. And they were the people who actually took part in this plot. And when they felt that this plot is getting to be known by the Peshwa, they decided that now is the time to act. And before the Peshwa could take any action to stop this, just after lunch on probably the 10th day of the Ganpati festival, they entered his chambers and when he came to know that they are coming with swords drawn, he ran from his chambers to his uncle's hall where his uncle was staying. And he told him that, save me from these people. So Raghunath Rao tried to stop them and said that, don't, don't kill him. And in fact, he himself was injured in the fracas because he tried to put his hands in between and he got injured. And a few of uh, his loyal servants of Narayana they threw themselves on his body to protect him. They were also cut down. So all this, all this thing happened. Finally, the Gardi said that we cannot spare this man. Because if we spare him, what will happen to us? We will be punished. So that man was... Narendra was killed and uh, they took custody of the Shanwarwada and they declared that Raghunath Rao will be the next Peshwa and this was taken out of Raghunath Rao's hands though he wanted to be the Peshwa very much so but it was declared by the Gardis and later on where Raghunath Rao slipped was that he rewarded the Gardis with money with offices and so on and so forth and uh, there was no heir I mean till then Narendra had no children Madhavra had no children so there was no other member of the Peshwa family to take over. Raghunath Rao was the only one. At that time, there was a requirement that the army goes south and fights with Hyder Ali and so on. So Raghunath Rao started from Pune with a large army towards the south. And there were people in Pune who were not happy with what had happened on moral and ethical grounds. The chief justice of Pune at that time was a man called Ram Shastri Prabhune. He declared that this man is an offender, Raghunath Rao, and he must be punished. And the only punishment according to Dharma Shastra is the Dehant Prayashita or Dehant means Ishwa has to be killed for the crime he has committed. So, next thing you know is one by one people start dropping out of Raghunath Rao's army and coming back to Pula. And the, his ministers like Nana Fadnes and Sakharam Bapu, they start forming a core kind of a group of ministers who decide that we have to find a way to bring this man to justice. At that time it is found that Narayan Rao's wife is uh, going to have a child. So now it becomes very important to protect her. So they take her to the hill fort of Purandar and they place her under guard till she delivers. Fortunately, she delivers a son. And on the 40th day of his, after his born, he is declared the new Peshwa and Raghunath Rao is, uh, office is taken away from him. And an army is sent after Raghunath Rao to capture him. So Raghunath Rao marches north and finally lands up in Gujarat and signs a treaty with the English who were waiting for such an opportunity saying that if you put me back on the Peshwa's seat along with your armies and my armies I will give you the following concessions like the English always wanted the island of Sashti or the Salsit island which is in Bombay, most of Bombay they always wanted the fort of Basin which was captured at a great cost by the Marathas so these were the demands that the English had and he said if you make me the Peshwa I will give you this so that led to the first Anglo-Maratha war which went on from 1775 
1782. After the assassination of Narayan Rao Peshwa, we enter a phase called the Uttar Peshwai or the post Peshwai period. Because the Peshwa was young and the rule was actually carried out by a group of ministers. Now, among these ministers, the chief was Nana Fadnis. Now, Nana Fadnis was a very uh, kind of morally righteous person. At the same time, he was not a warrior. So, he had to seek the support of the Holkars and the Shindes to attain his military objective. So, this entire period of 1773 to 1800 is the period of Nana Fadnis' administration because he was the Karbari. But the Karbari who practically deputed on behalf of the Peshwa. And during this period, after finishing the English war in 1782, which ended with the Treaty of Salbai, he had to fight with Tipu Sultan. So the only military campaign which Nana Fadnis took to the south was against the fort of Badami in Karnataka, which he captured from Tipu in 1786 or so, where Charles Mallet, the English envoy, first met him and complimented him on his cool manner in which the campaign was conducted and so on. 1792 to 1794 were very peaceful years and Pune was probably at its prosperous best. Savai Madhura was growing up, 1794 he was already 20 years old and it was said that sooner or later he will become the next Peshwa, he will take matters in his own hand. So that we find that in 1795, a few months after the Battle of Kharada, which was the pinnacle of Nana Fadnis's career, you find that the Savai Madhura falls from a high building inside the Shanwarwada. He was not well for a few days before that. In fact, when he was going for the Dashera procession, he almost fell off the elephant and the person sitting behind him tied him to the uh, pole of that Ambari, of the Hauda. But when he went, he was sitting on top one day and there are two different contradictory versions about this, that he fell off outside the window and somebody said he jumped outside the window. So whatever it is, finally he fell down on a fountain inside the Shanwarwada, broke his uh, thigh bone he broke a lot of teeth, he had a lot of facial injuries, survived for two days after that. And while when he was dying, he told Nana Fadnis that my cousin Bajirao II, the son of uh, Raghunath Rao, who had been in custody of the Peshwa, of the Peshwa who had been in custody all these years, his son should be appointed as the next Peshwa. Now, even Bajirao and his younger brother Chimaji were also in prison at Junnar. So, at that point in time, Nana, who knew that Bajirao is not well disposed towards him because all his life he had been fighting with their parents and he was the man who had put them in prison. He was not in favour of Bajirao taking over. And in fact, he felt that we should have another person adopted by the wife of Savai Madhurao as the next Peshwa. So this went on for about 14 months. Daulatrao Shinde came down to Pune with a large army. He wanted to have a say in who becomes the Peshwa. Bajirao promised him a huge sum of money if he is allowed to become the Peshwa. So very kind of dirty kind of a period you find when everybody is jockeying for power, all the chiefs want to come to power and control the person who is in power. That begins in the year 1795-96. Though Bajirao is, becomes a Peshwa in 1796, he doesn't wield any power because neither does he have any army to speak of, but he doesn't even have any money by which he can. So he becomes a stooge of Daulatrao Shinde, who is the man who actually has the most of military power in the Marathas. And he is not well disposed towards Nana because Dhalotra wants money and said that the only person with a lot of money in Pune is Nana Fadnis. In 1798 what you find is, Dhalotra says I will go to the north, come to my camp and bid me farewell. So Nana takes guarantees. You know the word of a European was much respected in those days. So he asks the word of a, a guarantee from a French officer called Michel Philoz. And he says, I will come and beat Daulat Rao, but you must take the guarantee of my safety when I am there. So Michel Philos takes the guarantee, but he is a Shinde's officer. 
and when he immediately reaches Dalotra's camp, he is imprisoned. And for next three months, he is grilled to find out where all his money is kept, which Nana doesn't yield. He doesn't tell them where he is kept. So he is sent to the fort of Ahmadnagar, where he is kept in prison for the next three months. Till finally, situation in Pune becomes so bad and administration suffers to such an extent that they have no choice but to recall Nana and restore him to his place. So, 1798, you find Nana is brought back and given back his uh, charge. But by the time his elaborate intelligence network and his uh, confidence in wielding the power has already been, his health has taken its toll by, by staying in the prison for six months. Already an old man by that time. So, he does carry on the administration for one and a half years after that. But he is a shadow of his former self. In 1800, he died. On 13th of March, 1800, he died. And the very next day, you find a letter written by the British resident here, Colonel Palmer, that with him has departed the entire wisdom and moderation of this court, of the Maratha court, where people who were left with the power after that did not have the experience or the capability to steer the ship of state in those turbulent times. And sure enough, the Wellesley brothers who had come at that time, their objective was very clear and that was to take over the entire country. Before the directors of the East India Company in London knew what they were doing, they had started taking one by one. The Nizam had to sign the subsidiary treaty in 1798. Tipu Sultan was killed in 1799. And 1800 onwards, they started putting pressure on the Peshwa. So the Maratha power was surrounded on all sides. And the French mercenaries, they were gradually being uh, weaned away from their places by making promises that you will be given. Though that is what finally happened in 1803. Pajirao himself had to leave Pune because Yashwantra Holkar came marching down onto Pune. And because Pajirao was closely aligned with Shinde and the Shinde Holkars were against each other, he left Pune, went to Mahad. In a British ship, he went to Basin, where the British resident went there and told him that your safety lies in signing a treaty with us. And that's how the subsidiary treaty was signed. And he was told, we will restore you to the Peshwasha. Now, Bajira was a very wily, deceptive person and his whole aim was to sign the treaty, come back to power and then throw off the allegiance of the English. But this the English did not allow him to do because he did not have a power of his own. And next thing you know is the Wellesley is in uh, marching north from Pune, takes the uh, fort of Ahmadnagar and he is in uh, war with the Shindiyas. So, in the north, you find Lord Lake, he takes Aligarh, he takes Delhi, he takes Agra and he defeats the Marathas, Shinde force at Laswari. In the south, you find Wellesley defeating the Marathas at Asai. So these five battles sealed the fate of the Sindhe power. Holkar did not participate in the battle because he said this is Shinde's problem. Two years later, Holkar fought. He won a few battles in the beginning, but eventually when he was defeated, and then they all became kind of subsidiaries to the English power. This limped on till another 15 years. In 1817, finally, the Peshwa said, I have to get rid of this uh, kind of uh, pressure which I am facing on all sides. And he tried to make a stand and tried to have a battle with the English. It was too little, too late. The third Maratha, Anglo-Maratha war went on for over eight months. But the end was always predictable. And the Peshwa was pensioned off. He had to go to the north and never come back to the Deccan till almost the early 20th century. None of the family members were allowed here. And so the Peshwai actually ended in June 1818 when Bajira II surrendered to the English as was pensioned off to Bithur at a, with an annual pension of 8 lakh rupees. Now the Peshwa went off to Bithur. The Shanwar order was taken over by the collector and he set up his offices within the Shanwar Wada's buildings. 
over a period of time some of the buildings were converted into offices one building was converted into lunatic asylum a bazaar was placed outside the chandwarwada all this designed to reduce the prestige of that place so around 1828 it is said that in the lunatic asylum because the buildings were largely of wood so inside the lunatic asylum it's it is said that a fire broke out and that fire raged for more than a week and by the time it was over the entire wooden structures and all the buildings of shanwarawada had been burnt and had been reduced to ashes the people of pune felt very sad about that that this place of prestige has been destroyed there are stories saying that people took some of the ashes home to preserve this is the ashes of the shanwarawada and so on but that removed the place of the peshwa and kind of effectively put an end to any kind of hopes that there will be a return to the uh, to pune of the peshwa and pune steadily reduced in importance after 1818 population also went down the business trade of the city also went down it was after the 1857 war that pune gradually becomes a cultural and educational center and education which is acquired from the western uh, culture finally helps the indians to realize that this is their nation we are one nation and somebody else ruling over us and that began the process of fighting for one's independence initially by violent means the first revolutionary said to have been from pune was vasudev balwant phadke he still called in fact he burned some of the peshwas palaces because there were british government offices over there then it led to the era of uh, tilak and of kokhle and of uh, justice ranade and later on after tilak's death the torch was carried forward to others like gandhi ji and netaji uh, subhash following india's independence in 1947 pune thrived as an educational center it also became a hub of manufacturing in 1950s and 60s later it became a technology hub as well pune has kept pace with the times it is cosmopolitan and a melting pot but at its heart you will still find the echoes of its imperial past